Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a copy of God's Word, please put a hand up and volunteers are passing out Bibles right now. If you do not own a Bible, this Bible is our gift to you. Go ahead and take it home. It's our uh, privilege to hand out a book that we care so deeply about. So... In that Bible, if we're handing it to you, turn to page 898. Everyone else, you've got a copy of God's Word and you're familiar, go to John 16. John 16. Today we are finishing up a seven-week series, seven-part series as well, called A Few Last Words, these final things that Jesus said. There we go. On the night that he was betrayed. At the table where they had the, what we call the today the Lord's Supper, but where they celebrated uh, the Passover, and then shortly, just a few hours later, where Jesus was betrayed to be falsely accused and killed. Um, we're going to get out of Second Chronicles 5, because that would be a very different sermon. Let's get over to John 16. Some of you who are with us, or if you've been around the Bible for a while, you've studied John, you know that John, the best buddy, the kid brother of Jesus, so to speak, he's in his 80s, maybe his 90s when he's writing this gospel. He has an agenda. The book itself, he says, I write that you might believe and have life in his name. So he has an agenda. He's pointing you toward faith. And accordingly, like any good teacher, he repeats himself a lot on certain issues. We've seen the dark light contrast over and over We've seen the Pharisees be uh, foolish, even though they seem to have so much wisdom. We've watched people be blind, although they could see what God had said. We see these paradoxes that John is using on purpose over and over. And our text today, uh, you're going to see a lot of repetition too. So there's actually just one verse. I'm essentially going to preach on just one verse today because there's a lot of repeat, 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 and then Jesus drops a bomb on us at the very end right before the high priestly prayer of John 17, which we will get to in November. Today we're talking about soul-level peace. That's the topic today. Um, did everybody get sermon notes, a bulletin, who wanted one? Please put a hand up if you did not get a bulletin, and we will get one to you. Those of you that like taking notes, you're going to be ready to go. Soul-level peace, and as we read the text, you're going to see when Jesus gets to, wait a minute, oh, I see what he's talking about. We're going to start at verse 16. John 16, 16, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Jesus speaking to the 11. In a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I am going to be to the Father? And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. So anybody who's read the, the you've been with us through this series, you've read the gospel for yourself, is this normal for Jesus' disciples to oftentimes not know what he's saying? Okay? You and I are so tempted 20 centuries later to go, oh, this is so confusing, oh, this old book, oh, this is difficult, this whole following Jesus thing. The people who were with him face to face, listening to him from his mouth, had a hard time following him, okay? 
after three years of being discipled by the Prince of Peace, Jesus, uh, Peter pulls out a sword to solve God's problems for him. Right? Okay? I, I say this to encourage you. It is not harder to follow Jesus in 2021 than it was in AD 31. It's not. And actually, the Gospel of John has said that because the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Verse 19. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. Isn't that awesome when your rabbi knows what you're thinking? Maybe he's God. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while, while you... In a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Real quick, a freebie. This isn't in the notes. Do you think the joy of Jesus' resurrection was just for the 11, or do you think it's for anybody else? If, if those of us who are following him 20 centuries later, if that joy is for us too, then the promise is for us too. You could be in Afghanistan with a gun to your head, and although happiness could be robbed from you, the joy of the resurrection cannot be robbed from you. Verse 23. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before, Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Also not in the sermon today. The fact that he tells you you haven't done this yet, this is not just um, Old Testament saints that are like living in a general trust of God. He is specifically referring to the Holy Spirit. When he talks about in my name, Christian, little Christ, his spirit is gonna be inside his church and so if the Holy Spirit is inside you, you are asking God for things with an entirely different authority than when you prayed before. God listens to every prayer, but when the Spirit of God is inside you interceding, it, you're on a different level now. That's why he says, you haven't done this before. You've been walking with me, but you still haven't done this. He's, this whole section, he's talking about the Holy Spirit's coming. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and I will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, At last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything, and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? If you don't think Jesus is snarky, read that one one more time. After three years of miracles, you figured it out. Good job! 
Do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And this is why I've railed at you for three years to turn off that infernal black box on your wall. That black box is not reminding you that he has overcome. It's telling you, ah, everything's terrible, everything's awful. And it is insinuating, God is not in control. You have to worry about this. And Jesus says a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without my father knowing it. Note takers, Jesus wants a soul level peace for his followers and the source of that peace is his cross. Who likes irony? A brutal instrument of torture and of terrorism to get your people to fall in line. And God says, I'm going to make peace with the world through violence. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Okay, time for our 10th grade English lesson. Have overcome. Is that past tense, present tense, future tense? Have overcome. He already did it. I keep pressing in on this because I want you to see over and over Jesus' language. Jesus talks about his victory through the cross and the empty tomb in the past tense because God does not lie and he cannot fail. When the Almighty God determines to do something, it's done. Okay? Wow. I'm telling you about all of this. It's about to get dark. You're going to run. I'm going to be alone. I won't really be alone because my Father is always with me. This, this, all these things are going to happen. You're going to be filled with fear. And then after that, you're going to have an incredible joy that can't be taken away. I wonder why Jesus is telling us all these things. Well, he said this. I'm telling you all of this so that you might have peace in me. What? Are they going to have peace right now while they're confused? No. Are they going to have peace when there are soldiers and they're running for their lives? No. Are they going to have peace for two and, two and a half days when they're going, they killed our Messiah, what do we do next? No. They're going to have peace the rest of their lives after the resurrection going, oh, he was in charge the whole time. He knew what he was doing. He really did lay down his life of his own volition and take it back up again. He wasn't joking. So when the storm comes, after you've been walking with Jesus for 15 years, you're able to be reminded he was in charge the whole time. And when you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years and the storm comes, you're able to be reminded he was in charge that whole time. He was never not in charge. 
He was never not in control. And furthermore, not only did that give you peace, but how loved do you feel? Hmm? If a really cool high school, college professor that you really, really liked and you followed him on Twitter, if he says the wrong thing and the government kills him, well, then he said the wrong thing and he got caught up in a bad crowd. But what if a sovereign God purposefully went to his cross to wash away your sins? Now do I feel loved? He could have called down legions of angels and he didn't. You and I couldn't have done that. Hang on a cross with access to armies of angels to save you and not call them. Do you feel loved? Every second of six hours on a cross, he had access to get away from it, and he didn't. Do you feel loved? You and I, he intends, if we love him, he intends that we have a deep-seated peace somewhere deep down because he told us in advance that he was going to suffer. He told us that we were gonna fail him in his moment of need. Truthfully, it needed to happen this way. Not only had the prophets already said that this was gonna happen, but to the Jewish mind, it needed to happen a very specific way for Messiah because you see, Jesus going up to Golgotha with no one but his father, that had already happened before. Abraham and Isaac did that once if you grew up going to church. Abraham and Isaac went up where the son was supposed to be sacrificed to please God. And God ultimately had to say, Abraham, it's your faith that pleases me. We're not gonna sacrifice any sons today. That's gonna happen later. This needed to happen. It was God's good plan for it to happen. Let's talk about some overcoming. Here are your blanks for each of these pictures. The word's not going to be up there, I don't think. Here on earth there will be illness, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? Guys, this is not name it and claim it. Jesus could say yes when I ask for a physical healing now, mental health, emotional health. He could say yes, he could say no, he could say not yet but are we fully healed and redeemed at the end of the book? We have to trust his wisdom, but he is Lord over all. He is, there will be illness here on earth, but take heart, he's overcome the world. Here on earth, there will be religious persecution, your next blank, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Here on earth, there will be political hatred and strife, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Do you believe Jesus' cross is more powerful than the raging and the hating? That's not a rhetorical question, by the way. When we watch the fighting and the fighting and the fighting, but we know theoretically that heaven is a place where everyone in that city is totally unified in their praise and adoration of Christ, what we're really asking ourselves is, do we really think Jesus' cross is powerful enough to get us from here to there? He's overcome the world. Here on earth, there will be natural disasters. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
right after Katrina 16 years ago, the Salvation Army took out a full-page ad in the New York Times. I thought it was pretty powerful. It had pictures of the cleanup after Katrina of Salvation Army workers helping. And in big letters it said, Responding to natural disaster, responding to acts of nature with acts of God. Those of you who are old enough that you have to pay for your insurance, you know that the insurance companies like to take natural disasters and say, God did it. They don't know what else to call it. Salvation Army offers a different opinion. And I'm proud of them that they did that. Here on earth there will be terrible injustice, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. When something is happening in the world you believe is evil to its core, do you still believe that Jesus is in charge? Do you believe he's in control or he has temporarily lost control? Was the Holy Spirit playing video games and Jesus was using the restroom and God the Father was having lunch? Guys, we gotta ask ourselves this because if we think that God is an absentee landlord, who do we believe God is when things are dark? I'm gonna submit to you, the Bible says that he's completely just. He's furious at the things he should be furious at. He's brokenhearted where he should be brokenhearted. The reason we don't see God coming in with a flaming sword is because he is patient with sinners. And you might be angry that he's patient with the Taliban, but you're not upset when he's patient with you. Hmm? Did he just compare me to the Taliban? No, Romans 1 compared you to the Taliban. Read your Bible. I would much rather face Jesus at the end of my life and I've taken a gun and I have killed people or tried to kill people in the name of God all the time being mistaken than being someone who sat in church for 60 years, self-righteous, don't think I need the blood of Jesus, thinking I'm good enough on my own. Which one of those two messages would you want to tell Jesus to his face? Same fate. I sure don't want to tell Jesus to his face I was good enough on my own. Second part of the sentence. So, because Jesus wants a soul-level peace for his followers and the source of that peace is his cross, don't look for soul-level peace anywhere else than his cross. That seems logical, right? Don't look somewhere else for soul-level peace. Your first blank, distraction. I love that somebody's phone was ringing while I started talking about distraction. I appreciate that. You don't rat out your wife. The, ser the sermons on marriage start next week, dude. First sermon, don't rat out your wife. Um, truth be told, I'm just kind of jealous when that happens. I'm like, nobody calls me. I'm not popular. Um, <laughs> Distraction is not simply squirrel, but distraction is absolutely something that we use to address the chaos of heart. We use it to address pain, confusion. We use it to address fear. When I feel out of control, how much easier is it to just get lost in YouTube videos and four hours disappear? Okay, we're in church, let's stop lying. Seven hours disappear. 
Distraction, it's kind of, it's as if Jesus said, take heart, for I have, oh look, the game's on. Distraction, guys, distraction doesn't let Jesus finish his sentence. Now, who do you think, whose agenda is that? God the Father or Satan? You and I think it's cute. You and I think it's funny. If Jesus doesn't get to finish his sentence, we've got a big problem. Take heart, for I've over... Oh, uh, what's that? Oh, cool. I wonder if he's going to get his 20th homer today. We know that distraction does not give us soul-level peace because the game's over and my problems are still there flooding into my head and into my heart. And I have to go on to something else, don't I? We've all done it. We've every one of us. Don't do it as much nowadays, but for seven or eight years of our marriage, Emily could tell you how often there'd be some kind of an emotional crisis and I would go by myself out to see a movie. Because I knew for a couple of hours, Hollywood with a $55 million budget and he's shooting him and... Why is James Bond falling out of a helicopter? Like, I don't see any practical reason why this would have happened, but it's happening and it's awesome. I know that for two hours I don't have to think about what's bothering me. And for 13 bucks, it's worth it. Apathy. Apathy is somewhere else I can look for peace. Doesn't it give a kind of peace to just simply say, I don't care? It may not be the healthiest way to go about it. I can't hurt for you if I do not care about you. So-and-so's dying over there because of a hurricane. Someone else over there is dying or getting hurt because of a war. So-and-so over there has a terrible evil man at the head of their government and he's doing this and he's doing that. If I cared about all of it as deeply as Jesus did, I would have to have Jesus-sized tears or Jesus-sized wrath. We need to slow down and do this right. Raise your hand if you have the capacity for wrath, love, mercy, and justice that Jesus Christ has. Do you have his capacity? No, you don't. You're not God. You're not God. You could not be as angry at sin as Jesus is if you tried because you're a sinner. You could not love the world as much as Jesus did if you tried because you're still a sinner. When you get to heaven, do I think you'll maybe, we will be able to love the way Jesus loves? I sure hope so. But right now, we still have that old self, the flesh that Paul talks about. And I'm not God. I am finite. I am small. And I don't care is an unbelievably quick way to save myself from the hurt. I can't possibly feel all of these feelings of anger and rage and sadness and depression at what's going on in the world. I don't as a Christian, I, I'm not remembering that Jesus says he has overcome these things and that there is some kind of an answer even if I don't understand it now. So let's just retreat into apathy. I don't care. Maybe it actually sounds different. Maybe it's, I can't care. Maybe I don't even feel like I can. 
I have enough of my own problems that I don't see how God is going to solve it. The thing that really is demonic about 24-hour cable news is that you and I can't live 24 hours a day taking in information and what? Making decisions to go solve it? We have to sleep. We have to eat. We have to drive to work. We've got to take the kids to karate. We've got to do stuff. Cable news is taking information God already has and giving it to you for a decision you can't possibly make and don't have the authority to make. It would be evil if we had the ability to sit on some demonic earthly throne to make decisions over every dark thing, we would be sitting on God's chair. This in no way contradicts strategically and prayerfully thinking through what compassion looks like and taking action. The church absolutely takes action. We take measured human-sized action in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus, right? But we do not take these things onto ourselves like we solely can bear the weight of it because we can't. Where else do we look for soul-level peace besides his cross? Relationships. It sounds like this. My spouse and kids love me and family's what counts, Right? I keep telling you guys in December, you see this the most in Hallmark Channel, but it's really 12 months a year. Family is one of those things that it is so, it sounds so naturally good. It sounds great. How could you possibly critique or criticize? But idolatry isn't taking an evil thing and recategorizing it and saying that it's ultimate. That could be. If you take a good thing and make it ultimate, that is also idolatry. There are all kinds of good gifts of God that he gave to us out of a joyful and generous heart for us to enjoy. Food isn't evil. I could just worship it, though, and then it would be evil. Drink isn't evil. I can make it that by worshiping it as ultimate. Same thing with family. Family is not ultimate. They can't bear the weight of it anyway. Family is family. They're not friends, and they're not God. Family is family. Food or slash retail therapy. This is a way I look for peace in the here and now, apart from his cross. And this is what we think it'll be like. This is the promise of food therapy. But like all idols that lie to us and betray us, what does it actually look like and feel like? Anybody sat there eating something alone? You wish you had a friend to talk to? You maybe look back and go, I wish I would have talked to Jesus. I wish I had a stronger faith. I wish I had some kind of a support network. And I went to chocolate, alcohol, substance. I went to something to ease the pain in the moment, to give some type of relief in the moment. It's an incredibly lonely thing. 
It's an incredibly angry thing. I remember it was about uh, five or six years ago where I first really, really saw it, where I was angry at myself. I was in a Carl's Jr. drive-thru. I was really, really upset about something, and I wasn't yet to the car who was going to come up and order, and I was already mad at myself because I wasn't hungry. And I knew what I was about to do. Every step of it, I knew what I was going to do before I did it. I knew what I was going to order. I knew that I was going to be angry with every bite, that I was going to eat it anyway. I knew that I wasn't going to be happy at the end of it. And I knew that for a couple hours, I was going to feel overfull and be more mad at myself. And I was going to go into a spiral of self-pity, self-condemnation. We're starting to admit our addiction when we can tell ourselves in advance, Greg, you know what you're going to do, right? It's going to be like this and like this and like this, and it will not satisfy. That's when we're starting to identify a false God for what it is. It's false. It does not treat us well. Only Jesus treats us well. Alcohol and drugs, your next blank. Any form of substance. Ecclesiastes says wine was given to make glad the hearts of men. So we're not going to say that alcohol in and of itself is something that is uh, broken or evil. Um, But man, do we abuse good things? Do we abuse good things? We really do. We really do. And the message is this will make the pain go away for a little while. This will make the pain go away for a little while. And you know what? That might be true, but how small of a promise is that compared to the big promise? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Sometimes our false gods don't lie to us explicitly, they imply something. Or they just give, they admit maybe that it's a cheap counterfeit. This isn't an abiding relationship, but hey, but a one night stand will feel good for a few hours. An abuse of substances will say, hey, this will make you feel better for a little while. And that might be halfway true. But it's not overcoming the world. Our Savior has bigger and better promises based off of his bigger and better authority. What about doing? Martha's didn't see that one coming. Are you saying my busyness is as bad as alcohol, Pastor Greg? Did you know doing can be a salve for pain, for confusion, for chaos, the feeling of powerlessness? While my hands are moving, doing stuff, it gives a feeling of control, doesn't it? I'm on top of this, I'm on top of that. My inbox, I'm inbox zero right now. No unanswered email. I am the king of the world. I made those two phone calls. I did those two chores that my wife wasn't expecting me to do. She is gonna love me when she gets home. And I did this and I did that and I did this. I'm on top of things. And you know what I was doing all day? I was dealing with the pain or the confusion or the powerlessness in a way other than fully trust in Jesus' name on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. I'm ignoring the song. I'm ignoring what Jesus has said, that he has overcome the world. I'll ignore all of that. Hey, Jesus, I know you've overcome the world, but that's kind of a fluffy and ethereal idea right now. I need a savior who's more practical right now. And I don't feel like you're in control. 
So I'm gonna go for the cheap counterfeit. I'm gonna go for me feeling like I'm in control. That's the next best thing, right? I don't wanna pray. I don't wanna read the scripture. I don't wanna receive encouragement from my siblings in the faith by telling them how I'm feeling. I don't wanna do anything the scripture has told me to do with fear. I don't want to do anything the scripture has told me to do to address the feeling of powerlessness. I don't wanna do any of that. Or I might have forgotten because it was this or it was season three of Breaking Bad and we all know what decision we made. So I may not even remember the promises of God. I'm gonna do, 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 do. And tell myself everything's okay and pretend that I have peace. Take heart, Jesus, I'm overcoming the world too. Sounds blasphemous when we say it out loud, doesn't it? The news, you got this sermon early. You got this sermon a lot over the last three years if you were with us. And it sounds like this. This is the false promise. Nothing bad can happen to me if I'm informed. It's laughable when you say it out loud, huh? Bad stuff can happen over there. Bad stuff, but if there's a tornado right here in Roseville, that happens like once every 18 years. It doesn't necessarily touch down. If there's a riot on my street... If there's something close by, I'll at least know. And on the national level, it's usually, I'm gonna know how to vote because I was watching very carefully, being very stressed out for four years, but I'll know how to vote. Okay. Since politics changed so much since the last four years, like you didn't really know how you were gonna vote. Crowd this big, there are probably three people who are actually moderates. <laughs> Everybody loves to, oh, I'm, I'm open-minded. No, you're not. No, you're not. If I am alive, and if there is an election in 2060, I could tell you right now probably how I'm going to vote. So I can avoid the stress between now and then. One day there will be no election, there will be a white horse. And I look forward to that day. where every single nation on earth will raise an army and they're all going to be on the same side. Oh, unity, that sounds good. Oh, but there's this rebel group over there. Oh, who's the rebel group? The church. Do they have a good commander? I don't know, that horse looks scary. Is it the horse that's going to get us? I don't know. Is it the church that's going to get us? Oh, wait, it's Ryder. Has a sword that comes out of his mouth. The word of God. There will be no hanging chads on that day. If you're under the age of 20, ask the person next to you what a hanging chad is. <laughs> the approval of others. Anybody go for soul level peace by getting the approval of others? Hmm? Pastor Greg's hand is up. It's not just leading by example. I do it all the time. Anybody feel more at peace when everybody around you is happy with you? Whew. I mean, that sounds innocent enough, except when I flip it. Your peace can be robbed of you because someone else is upset. Your peace is going to be robbed of you every day of the week. What on earth? Just went to a leadership conference a few weeks ago, and um, Craig Grishel, a pastor of a big church in Oklahoma, he had said, you know, if, if you don't have 10% of the church upset at you, you're not even leading. <laughs> and I'm doing the math for how many here on Sunday. I'm like, 
can I handle at least eight people upset at me? <laughs> and his whole point was, you need to have a portion of the sheep that are upset at you, but you need to have no portion of Jesus who's upset at you. If 100% of Jesus is excited about what the elders and staff are doing, if he as sovereign over the entire church, let alone the local church, if he is pleased, if he is ready to say to the elders and staff one day, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into my rest. Like that was the point of what he was saying. I had to admit in my heart, oh my goodness, do I have so much sin in this area. Oh, do I want people to be happy with me? Oh, do I want people to like me? which is why I get really upset. I send out some masterfully written email and I can just envision, oh, they're gonna swoon over this new ministry idea. It's gonna be so awesome. And then I don't have to deal with any ruffled feathers. It's gonna be awesome. And that doesn't actually happen, does it? And it was never Jesus' objective either, was it? We only find out if we're loving and if we're gracious when there's some disagreement, huh? If we agreed all the time, we would never have the opportunity to really love each other. That was for free. That wasn't even in the notes. Here's what it sounds like. Everyone knows I have my act together. They like me, so life is good. For millennials and Gen Z, these thumbs are digital. I've told you guys before, uh, it's, it's getting documented now, the number of girls between the age of 12 and 15 that will post selfies on Instagram and if they don't have a certain number of likes within two hours, they take down the post. Okay? That's called slavery. Slavery to the approval of others. But let's not predict, pretend like a guy in his 60s can't do the same thing. We'll just do it in a different way. Does my boss approve? Do my coworkers approve? Does my wife approve? Do my kids approve? Does my dad approve? Does my dead father, would he approve? And yet there is only one person in all of the cosmos handing out the statement, well done, good and faithful servant. There's only one. And he is more gracious than any of the people I just mentioned. So that's good news. He's gonna say, well done, not because you did really well and saved yourself. He's gonna say, well done, because he saved you. And out of that grace, you did really well. Christian, even when you're failing, I want you to know the Holy Spirit's gonna take you to a place. You're gonna do really well. Because he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. You're gonna do really well. Holy Spirit is gonna win every, uh, he's gonna win the war in your life, even if you don't feel like he won all of the battles. He's winning the war. He's gonna make you look like Jesus. I wanna to talk to you for a moment about Jesus and then the sermon will finally be over. The one point sermon that went 50 minutes. Man, Greg has a special gift. When you and I gave in to distraction, Jesus was focused on getting to his cross to save us. When you and I gave in to apathy, Jesus cared deeply enough to save the apathetic from their sins. When you and I elevated our family above God, Jesus lowered himself to a criminal's death on a cross to save our family and reconcile them to God. 
When you and I were eating and drinking to find peace, Jesus offered his body and blood to us as the food and drink we need to wash away sin. When you and I used drugs to keep the pain at bay, Jesus laid down his other wrist willingly, inviting the pain necessary to overcome the world. While you and I declare to God, look, Father, at what I am doing, Jesus declared to God, look, Father, at what I have done, and he breathed his last. While you and I stayed glued to the news so we can feel some sense of control, Jesus gave up control to be killed on our behalf. While you and I are addicted to getting the approval of people, Jesus offers forgiveness of sins to people so they would have the approval of God. Jesus, we cannot thank you enough for who you are. We cannot thank you enough for what you have done. And we'd ask that you'd reveal yourself today to people in this room or online or our kiddos at Kids Adventure. Perhaps for the first time, God, that we would see your face as beautiful. That we would see you as the treasure in a field and we would sell all just to get you. God, for those of us who already love you, we ask you to take our love to the next level. We want to love you more. God, we want to love each other more. We want to love our lost and dying world more. God, we confess that we have looked for peace in every shortcut except in the power of your cross and the power of your empty tomb. It seems so obvious that that is how You have shown your sovereignty over the world, God, but we look for trifling, shiny things, fleeting things to make us happy or distracted. God, we want to fully embody here in 2021 as a church and as individuals, we want to embrace everything you have for us, what it means that you have overcome the world. You told us to take heart. God, show us what it is to take heart. Show us what courage looks like based on our Savior's strength, not our own. God, I ask you to make ARCF Foundation the most courageous church in Citrus Heights. That we see people raging against you and we don't get upset, we get excited. Oh, that person needs Jesus. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to show them the love of God. God, make us a people who is about our Father's business. And we love asking that question, God, because there's no way on earth you'll say no. So we ask this in the confidence of our brother James who told us to ask with boldness, knowing that you're gonna say yes to the things that are in your will. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, Amen. amen.